Thank you, Brother Oleg, and what a privilege it is to be with you this morning here at the Campbell Seventh-day Adventist Church. And as I get started, I'm just going to say a word of prayer, and we're going to get right into the message. Father in heaven, we thank you for bringing us here today. We thank you for what you are doing this week, and I just pray for the outpouring of your spirit during this message and during the soul-winning activity this afternoon as well. So we thank you and we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. You know, I can personally say how blessed I have been through the ministry of what I call the testimony of Jesus, which we believe come through the writings of Ellen G. White. Just yesterday, I went to Elmshaven. It had been almost 20 years since I had been there and reacquainted myself with some of the memories of the last years of Ellen White. You know, when I was nine years old, I began reading the book Patriarchs and Prophets. And by the time I was 11 years old, I finished the book Great Controversy. And I can tell you that through the reading of those books, my mind has been guided to being faithful to Scripture. Rather than running away from the Word of God, the reading of those writings at an early age inspired me and motivated me to study Scripture. And so I stand before you today to tell you of the urgency and the relevance of the three angels' messages for today. Listen, friends, the three angels' messages have not lost their relevance, and you're going to see why if you haven't thought about it in a while. But the three angels' messages today are the most relevant thing that you could share to anybody in this world. And I want to read to you a familiar statement from Testimonies, Volume 9, page 19, which says, In a special sense, Seventh-day Adventists have been set in the world as watchmen and light bearers. To them has been entrusted the last warning for a perishing world. Did you realize that to us has been entrusted the last warning to a world that is dying? On them, on us, is shining wonderful light from the word of God. They, we, have been given a work of the most solemn import, the proclamation of the first, second, and third angel's messages. There is no other work of so great importance. Did you hear that? There is no other work of so great importance. They, we are to allow nothing else to absorb our attention. Nothing else. Listen, whatever life work you are called to do is to be within the framework of the proclamation and the sharing and the living of the three angels' messages. The most solemn truths ever entrusted to mortals have been given us to proclaim to the world. The proclamation of these truths is to be our work. The world is to be warned and God's people are to be true to the trust committed to them. How do you get a motivation to do the work that God has called us to do? Is to have a living relationship with Jesus and to follow him by faith to where he is in heaven right now. And when you do so, you will be motivated to give the message that God has given us to give to the world. Because when you love Jesus, you will share what he has given to you. And so we have a very special work. Now, why is the three angels' message, or why are the three angels' messages so relevant and so important? Well, you know, 
as Oleg mentioned, I do have a, a love for the study of prophecy, and I want to give you a few nuggets from a prophetic study of scripture as to why the three angels messages are so important and in the limited time that i have i'm going to make some assumptions that most if not all of you have studied the books of daniel and revelation at least in a basic sense so this should make sense to you and this is what we're going to do let me just explain it to you this way most of you have been to a standard prophetic adventist meeting an evangelistic meeting where the prophetic chapters of daniel 2 7 and 8 are described and there's also that other prophecy at the end of daniel known as daniel 11 and a lot of times we skip that and we come to chapter 12 where michael stands up well that's kind of what i'm going to talk about a little bit here but here's the four major visions we have four major visions daniel 2 daniel 7 daniel 8 daniel 11 and 12 and it's really quite simple because at the end of each of those four visions there's a major apocalyptic event meaning something that happens towards the end of the world Daniel 2, the stone strikes the image. We understand that's describing the second coming of Jesus. Now, we don't know when Jesus is coming because no man knows the day or the hour, but we know that time must be near. So Daniel 2 takes us to the second coming. Daniel 7, you follow the sequence of kingdoms. Rather than an image of metals, we have beasts, now a lion, a bear, a leopard, and a dreadful beast. And at the end of those kingdoms, so the metals of Daniel 2, the images of Daniel, or the beast of Daniel 7, they describe the kingdoms from Babylon down through Rome. But rather than the second coming being described in Daniel 7, instead we see a judgment scene in heaven. Same thing happens in Daniel chapter 8. You have a ram, you have a he-goat, and then you have the cleansing of the sanctuary. And when you line those events up prophetically, Daniel 7 and Daniel 8, the beginning of the judgment and the cleansing of the sanctuary in heaven with a 2300-day prophecy, we understand that the apocalyptic events of Daniel 7 and Daniel 8 begin in 1844 on October 22. Daniel 2, of course, takes us to the second coming. Then we come to the fourth vision. So we've done the first three. We come to the fourth vision and there's all these kings, king of the north, king of the south, and at the very end, Michael stands up in response to God's people being attacked. And when Michael stands up, we understand that Michael standing up is the close of probation, then there's Jacob's time of trouble, but at the end of that time, God's people are delivered. That happens at the end of the seven last plagues at the second coming. So think about this what I've just described in a nutshell. Daniel 2 takes us to the second coming. Daniel 11 and 12, the, those prophecies take us to the second coming. But Daniel 7 and 8 take us to the beginning of the judgment and the cleansing of the sanctuary. And that begins in 1844. Now think about it this way. Daniel 2 tells us Jesus is coming again, and we believe that. But then Daniel 7 shows us that in order for Jesus to come back, there must be a judgment in heaven first. And Daniel 8 tells us in order for the judgment in heaven to finish after the books have been opened, the sanctuary in heaven must be cleansed. And then Daniel 11 and 12 shows that when the sanctuary in heaven is cleansed, Michael stands up, probation closes, and Jesus comes back. So that's a nice 
big picture overview, but think about it this way as well. Daniel 2 takes us to the second coming. Daniel 11 and 12 takes us to the second coming. Daniel 7 and 8 take us to 1844. You know what's fascinating about that? When you look at the big picture overview of the four major visions, what God is trying to tell us, what he is telling us is that when you look at that four, those four major visions, the most important prophetic time in the history of the world takes place between the events of Daniel 7 and 8 all the way to the second coming, which are described in Daniel 2 and Daniel 11 and 12, meaning between 1844 and the second coming is the most important prophetic era in the history of the world. And guess what? We are living in that time. And you know what we call that period of time according to prophecy? Prophecy calls the time between 1844 to the second coming as the hour of God's judgment. And you know, there is a passage in scripture that tells us how we should live in the hour of God's judgment. We know these messages as the three angels' messages. Revelation 14, I saw another angel fly in the midst of heaven, having the everlasting gospel to preach unto them that dwell on the earth, and to every nation and kindred and tongue and people, saying with a loud voice, Fear God, give glory to him, for the hour of his judgment has come. So you may be thinking, okay, so we're living in the most important era of the history of of the world from 1844 to the second coming. How am I to live, the three angels' messages tell us how to live. The three angels' messages then are clearly the most relevant messages that you could understand at this time of earth's history. You know, it's interesting I mentioned you look at these four major visions and you come to Daniel 11 and 12, Michael stands up, probation closes because the sanctuary in heaven is cleansed. You know, we're told an interesting statement in March or Maranatha, page 249. It says, there must be a purifying of the soul here upon the earth in harmony with Christ's cleansing of the sanctuary in heaven. You realize that when the sanctuary in heaven is cleansed, it's not as if God just waves a magic wand and says, okay, I've cleansed everything. No, there is a work that is happening on this earth that is happening in our hearts that relates to what Christ is doing in heaven. You know, when you look at the three angels' messages, within that very first angel, we see that the angel has the everlasting gospel. The everlasting gospel is the good news of Jesus Christ. But you know, there is a true gospel and a false gospel, and the true gospel of Jesus Christ is described in Romans chapter 1, verses 16 and 17. And if you have your Bibles, I invite you to turn to Romans chapter 1, verses 16 and 17. Romans chapter 1. Verses 16 and 17. Here Paul says, For I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power of God unto salvation to everyone that believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. Well, why is the gospel so powerful? You know, that word power is the Greek word dunamis. It's very similar to dynamite. You know, a lot of times people think that the gospel describes lifestyle modification. But I can tell you that dynamite does a lot more than a bit of a change. Dynamite blows everything up. And if you are living a life of sin, and we've all sinned and come short of the glory of God, the only power that can help you is the dynamite power of the gospel of Jesus Christ. 
And why is the gospel of Jesus Christ so powerful? Verse 17 tells us, For therein, in the gospel, is the righteousness of God revealed from faith to faith, as it is written, the just shall live by faith. Now, do you notice in verse 17, it does not say, For therein is the righteousness of God declared. And you know what? That's the difference between the Adventist understanding of the gospel and the evangelical understanding of the gospel. Evangelicals will tell you Christ declares you to be righteous even if you continue to live in sin. But the Bible does not teach that. The Bible teaches that the reason why the gospel of Jesus Christ has power, and this is the relevance of the third angel's message, the reason why the third angel's message and the gospel of Jesus Christ has power is because when When you give your life to Jesus Christ, God gives you his power, which is like dynamite, and your life may be as dead as dead can be in sin, but the gospel of Jesus Christ has dynamite power, the power of the God of the universe who has creative power, which will blow up that life of sin and give you a new heart, a new creation, so that you are now prepared to live in the hour of God's judgment and to Stand before the judgment seat of Christ under the power of the blood of Jesus with a changed life. That is the power of the everlasting gospel. When you see Jesus and all that he has done for you and for me by dying for us, that will melt your heart into saying, I want that power. I need his life. I need the power of the forgiveness of sins that he's offering because I've sinned and I've fallen short of the glory of God and my sins are many. Lord Jesus, please forgive me. And listen, it takes faith to believe that Jesus can forgive you. That's part of justification by faith. But it also takes faith to believe that God can deliver you from the power of sin and of Satan. And God has promised to do this. So we have these messages, fear God, give glory to him. So to fear God is to reverence and respect him. And to give glory to him, everything in our life is to bring glory to his name. You know, it's interesting, we live in a time where people are asking wrong questions about how to serve God. We come to issues in our life and we ask questions such as, is this a salvational issue? Well, when I look at the three angels' messages, God's people who are living according to the word of God, who are giving glory to his name, aren't asking those kinds of questions. They are asking, will this bring glory to the name of God? Those are the kind of people that Jesus is going to find safe to save in the judgment. And why do we fear God and give glory to him? Because the hour of his judgment has come. We are living in the hour of God's judgment. Now, the judgment of the dead began in 1844. Ellen White tells us soon, none know how soon we will pass into the judgment of the living. And that will take place shortly before the coming of Jesus. And then it says worship him. And of course, that's the issue of true worship versus false worship. It says worship him that made heaven and earth, the sea and the fountains of waters. That's a direct quote from Exodus 20, which is the Sabbath commandment. Those who worship God will obey him. Now, when you look at the rest of the three angels' messages, the second angels' messages, 
or the second angel's message, says Babylon has fallen. We are to come out of her. That's part of the end time message. Come out of her, my people. And the third angel's message says, if any man worship the beast and his image. So we're supposed to be worshiping God, which includes the seventh-day Sabbath. But the third angel's message says, if any man worship the beast and his image and receive his mark in his forehead or in his hand, the same shall drink of the wine of the wrath of God, which is poured out without mixture. So either you worship God, and that's worshiping him on the seventh day or there's the worship of the beast and his image the image of the beast the beast is a conglomerate that combines church and state and then it uses coercion to force people to worship on the wrong day that's the mark of the beast and so we have this warning message to call people out of babylon so that they will not receive the mark of the beast But the third angel's message concludes with this beautiful message in Revelation 14, 12, which we know very well. After we see the command to fear God, give glory to him, the hour of his judgment has come, worship him, come out of Babylon, don't worship the beast in his image. And then Revelation 14, 12 describes a people who have been transformed by the power of the gospel and who stand faithful at the end. And God says, here is the patience of the saints. Here are they that keep the commandments of God and the faith of Jesus. God's people at the end of time will live by the faith of Jesus. Just as Jesus says to the Laodicean people, to him that overcometh will I grant to sit with me in my throne, even as I also overcame and am set down with my father in his throne. Well, how do we overcome? 1 John 5 verse 4 says, this is the victory that overcometh the world, even our faith. And as Jesus is hanging on the cross, he cannot see through the portals of the tomb, but by faith he was conqueror because he rested by faith in his father's promises patience or endurance god's people will be a patient and an enduring people you know it's one thing to have patience if you're running five minutes late for breakfast that's not what this is talking about i mean that's a good start for some of us some of us can barely keep our patience if we're running late five minutes This word in the Greek, hupomone, describes a patient endurance to a similar degree. Not, I wouldn't say it's identical to Jesus enduring the cross, but it's a similar concept. It says Jesus endured the cross. That's the past tense. So Jesus is our example. He will have a people who will have patient endurance. And then it says they keep the commandments of God. You know, obedience is one of the great testing issues in the great controversy. You know, there's this issue in the church over the last however many years where people describe that Adventists struggle with legalism. Now, here's what I will say to this. Are there legalists in the church? Sure. What's legalism like? Legalism is trying to obey God in your own strength. But let me ask you this. Did Jesus live an obedient life? Yes, he did. Was Jesus a legalist? No. So obedience does not then necessarily mean that you are a legalist if you are obedient. And here's the the challenge as we look at the hour of God's judgment, as we're living in the hour of God's judgment. The final test that God will judge people by is, are you obedient or disobedient? 
And what's striking and alarming to me is that the concept of obedience has come under attack in the very body, the very church that God raised up to be a demonstration to the world that there will be a people who keep the commandments of God. Why would Revelation 14, 12 say that there's a people who keep the commandments of God if they're not really keeping the commandments of God? You know, Revelation 12, 17 says, The dragon was wroth or enraged with a woman, went to make war with a remnant of her seed, who keep the commandments of God and have the testimony of Jesus Christ. And right here you see the great controversy, because in heaven, that word war is the Greek word polemos, which means to be argumentative. And Satan created an argument in heaven saying that God's law cannot be kept. And you can prove that from Scripture just by showing that Satan makes the same war with God. God's people on this earth who keep the commandments of God. He made in heaven because of God's law, and he makes war on this earth against God's people who keep the commandments of God. And how does he make war? Well, he makes arguments. You may have heard these arguments before. Well, nobody can really keep the law perfectly, can they? We won't really be obedient before Jesus comes, will we? You know, the law is kind of arbitrary, isn't it? These are arguments that come straight from the mind of Satan, and yet God will have a people who will keep the commandments of God. And so when, by the grace of God, you give your life to Jesus, you accept his sacrifice for your sins, and you make a commitment to live a life committed to God, he then empowers you to live an obedient life, and then you may notice, at that point, you become a target of Satan. You know, I could tell you stories of friends and people that I know who are struggling with trials due to the attack of Satan upon them. You know, people ask the question, why do bad things happen to good people? You know, if all it took to avoid trial was to become a faithful, committed Seventh-day Adventist, you know how many people would join the church just to try to run away from trials? And that's not how the great controversy works. The great controversy is a demonstration that even if trial comes into your life, I will be faithful to the Lord. Now, some of you know my story, and this isn't as bad as what some of you are going through, but two years ago, I had a really bad accident in my house. I stumbled down 15 steps, landed on the basement floor right here on the upper part of my arm, and shattered the humerus into seven pieces immediately, and I'm laying on the ground, I happen to be a neurologist, and I check wrist extension because I knew the radial nerve was right there, and I'm like, can I extend my wrist? And I couldn't. And that was two years ago. I've been through two surgeries, and my wrist hasn't improved. It's as floppy as anything. That's why I wear this brace. And I'll be honest with you, I mean, I was 44 at the time. I'm 46 now. You know, to face the thought of living the rest of my life with my dominant hand impaired is not something that I've enjoyed. But you know what? I understand that we are in a great controversy and that Satan is targeting God's people. And you, I know some of you today are going through trials much greater than what I just described. But what God is saying is, I will have a people that no matter what trial the devil throws their way, and by the way, if you get hit with a trial, a trial is not a trial unless it's difficult, okay? If you're like, oh yeah, we were late for work by five minutes, I'm sorry if that's the worst thing that's ever happened to you, but it's going to get worse. 
The devil's going to throw things harder at us. But God is saying, I will have a people who no matter what trial comes their way, they will be faithful. And they are going to be my faithful people at the end of the world who keep the commandments of God. And, you know, we are looking forward to a day where an angel, as Brother, uh, Pastor Bill Crick was mentioning, this other angel in Revelation 18 comes down from heaven having great power, great authority, and the earth is illuminated with its glory. This is the glory of God's character now not only being proclaimed, but being demonstrated to the world where we have a repetition of the three angels' messages, not only through proclamation, but through demonstration. Because in this picture of Revelation 18, the latter rain is being poured out and the loud cry is being given. And when the latter rain is poured out, the latter rain is poured out upon God's people. And when I study Acts chapter 5, it says the Holy Spirit is given to those who obey. You know why the latter rain hasn't been poured out yet? Because God doesn't have an obedient people. That's why he says to his Laodicean people, I stand at the door and knock, let me come in. Yes, there are some obedient people in the church, but God is looking for an obedient people that he can demonstrate to the universe that I have a people who keep the commandments of God and who are empowered by the Holy Spirit. Now, what's interesting is in the loud cry message, we see that in Revelation 18, verse 4, it says, for her sins have reached unto heaven and God has remembered her iniquities. That may be verse 5. You know, Ellen White says in Last Day Events, page 198, that Babylon's sin reach heaven when the law of God is finally made void by legislation. That's the Sunday law. So Revelation 18 is going to happen when the Sunday law is passed. You know why God allows the Sunday law to pass when it finally comes around? Because he has a people who are obedient, who are filled with the Spirit. So when Revelation 18:1 happens and the earth is lightened with the glory of God's character, it means that he has an obedient people who are ready to receive the fullness of the power of the Holy Spirit because the Holy Spirit is given to those who obey. And in contrast, you have those who worship the beast in his image who are exalting a law that goes against the law of God. So you have this contrast. Those who keep the commandments of God, they have received the outpouring of the latter rain. The, those in Babylon whose sins have reached unto heaven. God is going to have a people who will be the embodiment of the three angels' messages. And God is looking for people today who will make a commitment to say, you know, Lord, my heart was touched this morning by what I've heard. I've been complaining about how hard my life is. Nobody's going through what I'm going through. If you knew how bad I had it, you wouldn't be excited about the end time message or following God. I mean, my life's so hard that I can't even hardly get going anymore. If I told you about this, that, and the other thing, and you know what God is saying? I get it. And I, I hate that you live in this world of sin where Satan still has the ability to afflict my people. But God is saying, I'm here for you. And I am guaranteeing you that if you will place your life in my hands, I will sustain you through the most difficult trials that you could ever go through. And someday soon, you will be empowered through the outpouring of the Holy Spirit to be my witness 
this before I come. And he's saying, but I don't want to wait. I don't want you to wait until Revelation 18 verse 1 takes place. I want to pour out my spirit upon you today. I'm asking for your life today. I'm asking your heart today. I'm asking for your surrender today. I'm asking for obedience, loving obedience from you today because I will give you life and life more abundantly. Some of you are addicted to things that are weighing you down. Some of you are tied down to things that will prevent from receiving the outpouring of the latter rain. And God is saying to you today, you walk through that door enchained and enslaved to the devil, but I am here to set you free today and to empower you to receive my spirit, to be my people at the end. And so that is the word of the Lord for us today. And I want to make an appeal now. We are going to have our missionaries come up. Those of you who have been engaged in the missionary work this week. Some of you are here today who haven't done that work yet, but you're going to go out this afternoon. So if you're part of the missionary group that's been going out this week, or those that are going to join in this afternoon, I want to invite you to come forward at this time. We're going to have a special prayer. Pastor Louis Torres, Pastor Bill Crick are going to give this prayer of dedication. And after the prayer of dedication, we're asking that you stay up front just a little while longer. So don't go back as soon as the prayer is over. But while you're coming forward, this isn't just a come forward moment just to come forward. This is a special call to say, Lord, we understand that Jesus is coming soon. And I want to be part of that closing work. And my life needs to be right with God 100%. And so as you come forward, and keep coming forward, all the way, come up onto the, the platform here. But this is a special moment in this week of evangelistic missionary effort. You know, we didn't just come here to pass out books, go home, go back to business as usual, and just expect Jesus to come without some significant change in our lives. We came together this week to do the missionary work that God has placed before us because we need to have a change in our heart and a change in our focus. We need the indwelling power of the Holy Spirit. So many times we have this attitude, well, because I'm part of this ministry, then I'm better than those Adventists because we do soul winning better than they do soul winning. You know the latter rain's not going to be poured out on people who have that attitude? The latter rain's going to be poured out when we unite together in, from different ministries to say, we are going to do the work of the Lord from whatever ministry and background we're from. As long as we're faithful, I don't care which ministry you come from. I just want to be ready for the outpouring of the latter rain. So I'm thankful for what God is doing here. And so I'm going to turn the time over now to Pastor Crick. This media was brought to you by Audioverse a website dedicated to spreading God's Word through free sermon audio and much more. If you would like to know more about Audioverse, or if you would like to listen to more sermons, please visit 
www.audioverse.org.